0: Hello and welcome to Reflections. I'm Rom Gaiuso, your host. Today, our topic is environmental health. What is it and why should you care? First and foremost, thank you so very much for your being here with me and my guest. I know your time is very important. I am the guy who will make sure it is invested wisely. So uh, I've been waiting quite some time to interview Douglas Mohal. Ever since my first talk with him, I was immediately curious about his work. And the reason why you see him here is precisely because I believe he has a lot to share. And his message will greatly benefit all of us. Remember, if you're watching this show via Futures Television, the home of the future on television, or listening to the show via Radio Futures, the wave of the future on radio, you too can be part of the conversation. Please. Join us in our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. So let's get going. My guest today is Douglas Mulhall, environmental health expert. And together, we will explore how the environment affects our heart health. In addition to that, we'll go over some of the latest discoveries and his upcoming book, The Nature of longevity. Well, without further ado, it's time for us to welcome Douglas Mohal to the show. How are you doing today, Douglas?
1: I'm great, Ram. Great to see you today.
0: How wonderful to see you, and thank you so much for uh, being here with me and the audience today. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you here. Hello to everybody. Yeah. So, uh, we are live on... LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitch. So thank you for joining us today. Well, let's let's get going. And I want to start at the top. So there are hundreds of books about health and about keeping your heart healthy, uh, but your book has a new take on all of this. So what is it that people will gain from turning in today? In other words, what is in it for them?
1: Rom, people always remember stories, and um, I actually start off uh, the book uh, with this story that pretty well applies to uh, people at almost every age. This is the story of Peter Bartelli, who was a commercial pilot. He'd been flying for many, many years, and uh, you know, pilots kind of retire early; uh, they have that that luxury. And uh, about three or four years before Peter's retirement he flunked his stress test. Well, for anyone who knows anything about commercial pilots, when you flunk your sh- stress test, you're grounded. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Uh, the FAA grounded him and they told him that he wouldn't fly again. The problem was he'd had a stent, a little pipe put in uh, one of his arteries uh, because it, it had become blocked and it had blocked uh, again. And putting in another stent just simply wasn't going to work because that was too many stents and the FAA uh, didn't allow that. So he was basically, they told him he was finished. So Peter went to uh, his new cardiologist because uh, he didn't like the answers he was getting from his old one. And his new cardiologist proposed taking at that time what was seen as an experimental uh, product. It was called NanoBack TX, it's made by nanobiotech uh, pharma and um, i don't have any shares in the company so i'm not promoting it Uh, this is just what his cardiologist had uh, recommended for him and uh, he uh, he took the product uh, for a few months and when he went back and took his stress test he passed it with flying colors and the faa doctors who looked at it thought there must have been a mistake on the previous diagnosis because they, they couldn't find uh, any blockage. The result of that was that Peter Bartelli flew commercially for another 10 years, and he flew uh, recreationally after that for uh, many, many years. And I talked to Pete just a few weeks ago, and he's still driving his car around the track at Sebring. Um, so, you know, he's still uh, very active. This is a really remarkable story. It it just shows that if you're prepared to think outside of the box, uh, you can really get things done. And, and I want to emphasize here, uh, Ram, just for viewers, I'm not a doctor. Um, this, is, this is not medical advice. Uh, what I'm doing here is relaying the stories that other physicians and patients have told me. And that's one of the more impressive ones. But Peter Bartelli is by no means alone. There are hundreds of stories like his.
0: How wonderful. So, you know, I always heard that, you know, heart problems, you know, high blood pressure, you know, memory loss. They were like old age related. Uh, but in your work, you kind of explained that those start at a very early age. So how does that happen? And what has the environments to do with all of that?
1: You know... It's strange, but old age starts from birth. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Well, your body has a very strange habit. It's, it's just the way that we're all uh, built. And this habit is known as the inflammatory response or inflammation. Everybody knows about inflammation. It's really good for you in the short run. Uh, if you get an infection or you get an injury, of course, it it helps you uh, repair the tissue, and so inflammation is is really good in that respect. Problem is, if the attacks from the environment continue on you, which regardless of whether they're bad diet or infection uh, or metals, and we'll be talking about that in a moment, uh, this inflammatory response turns on you. Your your whole system it turns against you, and The result is that you end up with chronic inflammation, which starts all kinds of nasty processes, including hardening of your arteries. Now, when does it start happening? Well, autopsies of very young children, of teenagers, of war veterans who died at a relatively young age, all show fatty streaks in their arteries. So this process is starting right from the get-go. And that's, there's a very simple reason for it. And that is that your environment uh, has things in it, which begin attacking you from uh, the day that you're born.
0: Well, I wanted to stay on that topic a little bit. So the subtitle of your book talks about how we can be protected from the environment attacking us. That's kind of weird because most people, you know, especially today when everybody worries about how we are attacking the environment instead of the other way around. So what is this about, this environmental attack?
1: Well, you know, I've worked on environmental health uh, for many, many years, more years than I would care to say. (laughs) And uh, so when I say this also to my colleagues, uh, some of them are a little bit surprised because the mantra today is Mother Nature. You know, nature's good for us. And, oh, aren't we doing bad things to Mother Nature? But actually, if you look at history, it's uh, it's it's. It's that, and it's also the reverse. Uh, I call it the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, syndrome. So Mother Nature is not our mother, it's our teacher. Nature can do really good things for us, and we rely on it uh, for our survival, but it can turn around and kill us at the same time. And just to give you one example, it wasn't so long ago, only 100 years ago in some countries, that up to half, of all children were dying before the age of 10 due to environmental problems like uh, infections. So this is not nice mother nature. Uh, You you really have to learn to live with and respect nature, but not call it your mother uh, all the time. So nature has this double-edged sword and that's what provokes this chronic inflammatory response That I was just talking.
0: Wow, it's it's a lot to process, but I think I'm starting to understand it. So, uh, a different kind of question. So, I always heard environment and health as two separate words, but in your work, it's classified as environmental health, right? Two words together. What is environmental health?
1: It's actually really simple. It's improving the impacts that the environment has on your health. Quite simply, now. Um, historically, it was the opposite. And that was, it was trying to figure out the nasty things that the environment does to you. And it started with what a lot of people know is uh, called occupational health. So that happened because people started, you know, working in factories and under horrible conditions. And of course, the environment there was terrible. They started getting lung diseases, heart diseases, injuries, all kinds of things. So this the, the profession of environmental health came out of this, this occupational uh, health uh, study. Occupational health then moved out of the factory and into areas like, for example, firefighting, because firefighters were going into toxic environments where there was a lot of smoke. And under that level of stress, a lot of them were having heart attacks. And so they were brought into this occupational health uh, mold, but that also brought in the whole area of cardiovascular uh, disease therapy. And then after that, uh, this expanded into the home and office because in the 1970s, we started getting something called sick building syndrome. A lot of people might remember Legionnaires' disease, which is still around. That's because uh, we got really efficient with energy in buildings. Uh, We sort of closed them all up. And the result of that is that the indoor air quality is up to eight times worse than outdoor air quality. So environmental health has expanded, expanded, and expanded to cover these really broad areas. The strange thing is that most healthcare professionals have very little or no training in environmental health. It's seen as a niche, a specialty uh, over here, and especially cardiologists don't have environmental health training, which is really kind of weird when you think about it, because uh for hundreds of years, it has been known and, and said quite clearly that environment is one of the major causes of chronic disease. So environmental health is designed to deal with that. The good news is that more and more physicians and healthcare professionals are starting to pay attention to this. So it is moving upwards.
0: Yeah, And I think nowadays we have to worry about so many things. So um, so we got the... Uh... Asbestos, right, in the homes, and then of course we have to worry about air quality, like in the megalopolis like you know Beijing, or New York, where the air quality, you know, at days. I'm, I'm in Phoenix, so there, there's there are days here we call <laughs> no burn because you can't burn anything. Yeah. You can't even see the other side of the valley. So there's yeah. a bunch of stuff.
1: Well, uh, just just to you know to remark on what you said, uh we can live in fear all of our lives and and mm-hmm. look at all the horrible things that are you know happening to us. But uh, my profession, what I do is we turn that on its head and say, well, instead of trying to minimize our bad impacts or worry about all the bad things we're doing, what are the positive things we're doing? And how can we translate that to our health? And this is a really important difference mindset than, oh, are things awful? So that's what we really uh, try and focus on
0: so we don't want to be victims we, i think we we want to be informed right and we want to embrace this aspect of environmental health and see how it can you know help us improve you know our lives our livelihood and that of our family and and friends right
1: that that's exactly right that's mm-hmm. and that is a very different thing from living in fear all the time
0: and which we should not right yeah Absolutely. so uh, I want to go back to you know the heart health topic for a moment so can we be a little bit more specific could you please explain you know what what are really peripheral artery diseases and critical limb ischemia those are you know technical terms and why are they so prevalent do we have some kind of a you know a heart disease epidemic going on or so what's going on there
1: <laughs> well when you talk about heart disease epidemic you know compared to uh, you know covid for example and i don't want to talk about covid uh but you know a total of, I don't know, six to seven million people have died from COVID. Uh, Every day, up to 49,000 people die from heart disease. So in the same period that those people died from COVID, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 plus million people uh, died from heart disease. So where is the pandemic here? Uh, You know, this is, and and by the way, most of the people that died uh, from COVID uh, did so due to complications from cardiovascular disease. So it's a double whammy that uh, that you have uh, there. So you know that's that's sort of when you're talking about the definition of uh, of an epidemic. So why is this happening? Well, first of all, uh, I'm going to get into this a little later. But historically, this is not this is not unusual. It just so happens that we're living longer, so we're more prone now to to heart disease. But people have always been dying from heart disease. If, the record shows this. Egyptian mummies from 5,000 years ago uh, showed white uh, powdery substance known as calcification in their arteries uh, from our cardiovascular disease. So it's been with us, It's it's been endemic in the population for quite a while, but due to different environmental factors, pollution, a sedentary lifestyle, etc., it has really become now uh, a, a pandemic. So This question that you asked about peripheral artery disease and critical limb ischemia, and I'll give an example of this in a moment, but it's simply stated, the arteries in your legs get clogged up by heart disease and the circulation stops. And millions of people have got this problem and certainly tens of millions of people know someone who has uh, the problem. You know, they have pain walking, for example. This is your, your classic, symptom their toes start to go purple and you know frequently they'll go black and at that point you have to look at um millions and millions of people going through what's known as revascularization which is replacing the arteries from another vein uh somewhere else in your body replacing the artery in your leg or in the worst case scenario amputation and it is not unusual there's more than Two hundred and fifty thousand amputations every year around the world. Hundred and fifty thousand in the United States and Canada. Uh, people are losing their limbs due to these clogged arteries. It's a really serious uh, problem, and there there is no cure for it at this uh, at this point. However, um, and I think we're getting into the next topic. Um, so I think I'll stop there and just just let you go on.
0: Yeah. So so let's kind of uh, go back to this idea that we started at you know being thinking more positively, not being so fearful or so so afraid, right? But you know, at the beginning of the show, we talk a little bit about that. So is there some kind of a, you know therapy or procedure, or what could uh, could help us? You know ameliorate the situation, either, you know, control the damage, uh, you know, minimize the damage. Or is it at all possible even to reverse the damage? How do we go about that? Well, the short answer is yes. And that's why
1: I wrote the book, The Nature of Longevity. Um, This is my my second book about this topic. But um, there are a lot of solutions out there right now that uh, millions of people are actually using um, and it's surprising that more people don't know about them. But again, that's why I wrote the book, is to, is to popularize uh, the information about uh, these approaches. And again, I want to emphasize, you want to talk to your doctor before you try any of these. But um, I'm going to give you a few examples. And first, I'm going to start with another story. So Dr. Uh, Hervais Lamas, who is the chairman of cardiovascular uh, medicine, at Columbia University and at the Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami has a lot of these patients who have this so-called peripheral artery disease. And um, he had a number of patients who were facing amputation within two weeks. They were scheduled for amputation. Dr. Lamas had performed earlier a $30 million clinical trial with the National Institutes of Health. This was the gold standards of clinical trials. It was so-called double-blinded. The doctors didn't see the results until the end, randomized uh, all over the place. Um, And uh, so this is really the gold standard. And he had done this clinical trial to prove that a controversial therapy uh, didn't work And and the reason that he was doing that was because one day a patient walked into his room and and said, uh, should I try this therapy? And he said, no, no, don't try that therapy. It it doesn't work. And when he was driving home that night, he realized he had really no factual basis uh, to make that claim. So uh, he approached the NIH and after some years uh, performed this. And this was called the trial to assess chelation therapy. So fast forward 10 years because the whole process took 10 years. And much to his surprise and the shock of the cardiovascular community, this reduced the incidence of secondary heart attacks or other negative events in patients by 40%, especially in diabetics. So here here you had a guy who was trying to prove it didn't work and he proved exactly the opposite. Now, fast forward. He's got these peripheral artery disease patients facing amputation. And he says, okay, well, uh, we've done this clinical trial with the National Institutes of Health, pretty well proven that it's safe and that it works. So let's try it with them. So they went through uh, 40 weeks of infusions and keep in mind, they had gangrene on their toes. Their toes were black. They had lesions on uh, their legs. The photographs are, are rather gruesome. So we won't show them here but they're stunning because, um, at the end of this, these patients were walking around with pink feet. And as Dr. Lamas often says, they had two shoes on, not one, they hadn't lost their limbs. And this was an incredible, uh, result, this observational, uh, study. So the answer, the short answer to your question is that is a beautiful example of therapies that are available, uh, today. Now, if I cycle around back to this uh, product, NanoBack TX, um, it is a combination of nutraceuticals and a chemical that is similar to the one uh, that Dr. Lamas used, but the difference is that it's oral. So you you can take it as a, a tablet. Uh, you know, you basically take eight tablets a night before you go to bed, and that's it. You're done. So the advantage of this is you don't have to go to the doctor's office, you know, once a week for three hours of injections. Um, and so patient convenience and patient compliance uh, are, are really a big deal in this because you know a lot of people can't go to the doctor's office for three hours a day for 40 hours a week. Um, with this product, uh, you avoid all of that. Um, now, there have been a lot of anecdotal results, uh, as well as observational studies uh, published of this product, uh, showing that it has been effective Uh, in reducing the calcification scores, which is one measure of a risk of heart disease, and also in other illnesses like, for example, uh, prostate, uh, uh, hardening of the prostate and prostate stones. There has been an observational study by Dr. Daniel Shashkes at Cleveland Clinic uh, showing that when no other therapy worked, this therapy did. These these prostate patients had a, a marked improvement in their symptoms and the stones uh, went away. So uh, this was not double-blinded randomized clinical trials, but still there's an awful lot of evidence and there's a number of very high-profile cardiologists who are recommending this approach, which, by the way, was developed by uh, inventor and emergency room specialist, Gary Mazzeau, who I have to say, really had a stroke of genius when he he did this. And he did this because a lot of his patients were suffering terribly, and he found that uh, this helped them. So those are two examples of of therapies. Now, there's also uh, nutritional approaches, dietary approaches. So, again, looking at the very high level, respected level, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, who is... Uh, in charge of the Heart Disease Reversal Program, that's what it's called, at Cleveland Clinic. Uh, So Dr. Esselstyn has based his work on something called the China Study, um, which demonstrated that uh, workers who came from China um, had a very low, if any, occurrence of cardiovascular uh, disease. And it was because of their diet and and also because they, they exercised. Uh, regularly. So um, Dr. Esselstyn has published a book about it. He's published several books about it. He's offering a program on this and he has shown that you can measurably reduce the risk factors uh, for heart disease. So here we go. Okay. Three concrete examples of what's available right now. And I want to emphasize this ain't just for old people. Okay. Uh, This is something that you need to pay attention to in your twenties and thirties. So I've gone on a bit about this and I apologize for that, but uh, I want to emphasize that there are those therapies out there and there are other therapies coming down the pipe that we'll get to uh, in a moment.
0: Wonderful. So we're getting a few questions. I will pick at least one. Uh, so uh, we're going to go back to this uh, idea of uh, you know heart disease being of old age where you, you're explaining actually and you know, it's not. It starts at a very early age, really. So, uh, we say, uh, so, hi, Mary. Uh, hi, heart problems used to be a problem of old age. I was astonished to see that that is not true. So, how can we deal with the damage caused by, say, uh, ischemia? Sure. Or any other damage, per se. I, I, yeah. I, I, other people are asking about you know, damage caused. Yeah. Uh, and if you could explain, I'm sorry, uh, artery calcification or hardening, what's that?
1: Well, uh, let me explain about ischemia, okay? And then I'll, and then I'll, I'll use that to describe this calcification thing that you've, uh, you've just mentioned. First of all, I really like the way that Mary has phrased this question, the damage caused by ischemia. None of these therapies are cures, but they do have a very positive impact on the damage, which is what you want to get rid of. So I like the way that you put that question. It's, it's, it's very exact. Now, just to reiterate, ischemia is the blocking of your artery. So critical limb ischemia is ischemia of uh, the limbs and, and this, this blockage. And uh, the simple answer to your question is that the three methods that I just described, so the intravenous uh, uh, chelation that is used by uh, uh, Dr. Lama's team and by many, many other Uh, Physicians across uh, North America. It's available in in most states across the United States Um, That's intravenous Um, the uh, the oral uh, nutraceutical uh, combination therapy uh, Developed by uh, Gary Mizeau called Nanobac TX uh, by Nanobiotech Pharma Um, and um, the reverse heart disease uh, Regime uh, done at at Cleveland uh, Clinic. These all have been shown to have positive effects on uh, critical limb ischemia. And on my website, which is uh, calcify.com, that's C-A-L-C-I-F-Y, I've got the information actually about where you can find out uh, more about those. So you you can always go to the website and find out. And, of course, in The the Nature of Longevity, which is uh, coming out later this year, Um, I also have uh, an an annex, which uh, provides more of that, uh, of that information.
0: Yeah, there was, I mean, several people are asking a similar question, but you know, it was a follow-up saying, so, so you mentioned three, but so is there a treatment or some sort of treatment? So there's some direction uh, and some treatment available. People are not abandoned at their own luck.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And I want to emphasize also that, um, I don't provide this treatment. This treatment is provided by, by cardiologists and by other uh, physicians. Uh, Dr. Jim Roberts uh, in Toledo, Ohio has a practice and I highly recommend his website, uh, which is heartfixer.com. Uh, it is a treasure trove of information about these, uh, these different uh, therapies. So I think I'd be repeating myself. I think Mary might have uh, posted that question before I explained that. So yes, There are uh, treatments, I've explained three of them. Um, There are other treatments that are coming down uh, the pipe that are quite um, exciting, and they deal with um, this calcification as well. So I'll just talk about, uh, sorry, Ron, because you asked the question about calcification, I didn't answer it. Um, that's okay. So calcification is this thing that comes along because of this chronic inflammatory response that your body has that turns against you. It's like a cascade. So what happens is that your body senses an invasion uh, whether it's bad diet or infection or metals or whatever. We'll talk about metals in a moment. And um, when this happens, it, uh, it triggers your genes uh, into a repair response. Um, And that repair response, oddly enough, your repair shop starts turning you to stone. Uh, It's, it's, it's a reaction in order to wall off uh, damage. So if you get a cyst, for example, uh, you will notice that the cyst is, is trying to surround something and get rid of it, okay? That's, that's what most cysts are all about. And a lot of those cysts are calcified, but they dissolve once the problem has uh, been isolated and, and go away. The problem is that in your arteries, it doesn't dissolve. It, it persists and it, it doubles every few years. Now you don't notice that doubling when you're younger, but mark my words, it's there. And that's why you start to get uh, hypertension or high blood pressure. Because this combination of the fibrosis of your arteries and the calcification makes it more difficult to pump blood. And your blood pressure goes up. So this is part of this cascade. So you get injury, inflammation, calcification, and uh, fibrosis. So that's that's the sequence. And until very recently, it was regarded as
0: inevitable, but it is no longer inevitable. So that was a, a series of other questions related to that. Uh, so uh, in, in essence, you're saying there is treatment, but they're asking is the treatment available to everybody and very specifically, I think we were saying things that so Mount Sinai or you know, here, US and Canada centric, but people in Europe are asking, is this available to them as well? Yes, the short answer is
1: yes. All, all three approaches um, are uh, available to everyone if they know where to look. And of course, you don't have to look very hard. Uh, you, know, you, can, you can just, as I said, you can go to my website and have a look for where to find these things at calcify.com. Uh, you can go to Dr. Robert's website. Uh, you can contact uh, the Cleveland Clinic and ask for Dr. Esselstyn's program uh, you can contact uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Mount Sinai uh, Center in uh, Miami, um, and you can contact Nano Biotech Pharma, and their product is available by mail order. Um, I've taken the product and I've used it both in Europe and uh, in uh, the United States in and uh, Canada. So I've I've been able to access it in. Uh, All uh, three countries. It's so it's um, a food supplement. Watch for the customs guys, but uh, (laughs) that's not.
0: I was going to ask because so they're asking. So this is a food supplement, so not a prescription drug.
1: It's a non-prescription. That's correct. And by the way, Doctor Esselstyn's approach is non-prescription as well. The IV EDTA is. You really want to have a qualified IV chelation expert who has taken. Uh, a, a training and how to administer this. Um, and by the way, just to be clear, historically, there's been a lot of criticism of this 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 so-called IV chelation therapy. Uh, doctors claim it doesn't work. They claim that it's dangerous. The reason for that is because in the 1990s, when it was, uh, you know, first being experimented with, uh, they had some overdoses. But you know something? Uh, there are millions and millions of overdoses of prescription drugs every year, and they don't take them off the market because of that. So that was a mistake that was made originally. And if you have a qualified physician administering this, it is, according to them, perfectly uh, safe. But you do need to have a qualified technician and physician um, administering this. I just want to emphasize that. And something else. Yes. This is by no means would I advise discontinuing your existing meds. These therapies have all been used with current cardiovascular meds. And as far as I know, what has been reported to me by these physicians, there have been no ill side effects, uh, no uh, negative crossover between these two. But again, every individual is different. And so you just need to ask your doctor. So what is IVDTA? Ah, okay. Well, EDTA is, um, oddly enough, it's a food additive. It's used in the thousands of tons every year. So that's how dangerous it is. Um, but, uh, of course, and so you, we're consuming it all the time in foodstuffs. It's used as a food preservative. Um, but, of course, when you put it into you, like anything else, uh, you know, you shoot it into your arteries. It's its a different story. So, you know, you have to be careful. Um, EDTA is... Um, a distant relative of vinegar, and uh, it's it's really based on on nature, uh, because there's a lot of natural chelators, uh, things that remove toxins uh, and and metals from your blood and from your uh, tissue. The problem is they're not concentrated enough. So uh, when this stuff when this stuff builds up in you, you need a more concentrated form in order to get at it. And that is why EDTA uh, was uh, invented. Uh, oh, many many years ago, decades ago. Um, and I won't even try and pronounce the long chemical name of it. You know, people don't. You can look it up. People don't really need to know it for uh, the purposes of this program. So um, this is known to grab. Chelate means uh, to grab. So it grabs a metal molecule. And by the way, calcium is a metal. Most people don't know that. It grabs the metal, it pulls it out, it goes into your bloodstream, and it's excreted through the kidneys. That's how the the process works.
0: So follow-up questions. So uh, you mentioned calcification. You're talking about the heart, but they're saying, well, so this calcification seems to be a big problem. So it's not only happening in the heart. It's happening in other organs, and we should pay attention to that.
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, Again, in the book, there's uh, a big, long appendix describing all the illnesses uh, where calcification is found. Sometimes calcification comes along after a disease starts. But in cardiovascular disease, contrary to common wisdom, it starts very early. And these tiny, these are nanometer size. We're talking about a thousandth the, the width of a human hair. These calcified crystals are very dangerous. They are the things that destabilize plaque. So anyone who tells you that calcification is stabilizing plaque, um, there's a lot of studies and they're, they're cited in the book uh, that show exactly the opposite. And uh, this has especially been discovered by scientists and researchers at Harvard University. In fact, Dr. Elena Aikoa has uh, a huge lab uh, at Harvard and has published many, many studies demonstrating that these tiny calcified particles are very risky. They're a a serious risk uh, for destabilizing uh, plaque. So it it turns out that it's really um, a myth because these these tiny crystals are physically and chemically damaging uh, to your artery. And imagine if you try and patch a flexible hose with concrete, does that make sense? Well, that's what your body unfortunately is trying to do. So if anyone tries to tell you that patching a hose with concrete uh, stabilizes it, well, where the concrete meets the hose, guess what happened? It cracks off. And that's exactly what happens uh, with uh, with calcification. Does that happen in our brain too? Absolutely, because your brain is fed by your arteries. And uh, so dementia is closely associated uh, with uh, um, calcification because as your ar- arteries get harder... Um, you start to have problems because the blood is not circulating as well. And then if your neurons start to calcify, well, picture, you know, sort of picture this, you've got a neuron, two neurons, and the signals are flying between them. You put calcify, uh, calcium phosphate in between, uh, you're not going to get very good communication between those neurons. So yes, it's a huge problem uh, for uh, in, in, in the case of, of dementia.
0: So in your in your studies, or did you find any other uh, medical analysis that explains so if you fight the calcification, it helps the heart, but does it really help the brain as well, brain health?
1: Um, there have not been a lot of studies on, uh, I, I want to emphasize here, the reversal of calcification in cardiovascular disease is on one hand known, but on the other hand, as far as double-blinded clinical trials are concerned is very new. Um, uh, so there's, you know, there's not a lot of double uh, randomized, blinded clinical studies um, that address this uh, topic yet. There's one new drug um, called SNF472, that's just a code name, uh, by a company called Sanafit that was just bought by a big pharmaceuticals company. Uh, it's a natural fertilizer, <laughs> basically. And uh, it has been shown to slow uh, the development of this calcification. This is going to be the first anti-calcification drug on the market. It's gone through phase two clinical trials. Uh, it was invented by uh, a group headed up by Juan Perello uh, in, uh, in Spain, um, actually in, 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 the, in the Balearic Islands in Spain. And um, uh, this is going to be the first one going into, uh, going into the clinic. And there you have these double randomized clinical trials that show uh, the prevention or slowing of the calcification. So, you know, it's a very it's a very new territory. And we don't want to focus too much on calcification only because it's all about your general heart health as well. So these approaches that I was discussing don't simply target calcification. I mean, Dr. Lamas, his his group didn't focus on calcification at all. Um, they focused on something else, and I think we'll get to that uh, your next point, uh, Rom, is uh, heavy metals. So
0: why don't we talk about that for a moment? Actually, that, uh, it, there are several questions here about uh, heavy metals. I was going to uh, rephrase them because people are concerned that I think perhaps I uh, used some of the words asbestos and other things. But in the book, you actually talk about toxic metals, right? So can you explain what kind of role they play in heart diseases and and the aging process for that matter? Yeah,
1: Heavy metals and toxic metals, the words are interchangeable. It's called heavy, strangely enough, because it's a metal that's five times heavier than water. Don't ask me why, but that's the measure that they use. That's why it's called a heavy metal, because it's five times heavier than water. Uh, These include things like lead, uh, chromium, uh, cadmium gadolinium that's used in all of our um, computing devices, uh, for example. So there's a whole long list of them on the periodic uh, uh, table. Now, to be clear, uh, toxic metals have been with us ever since humans started walking the earth, right? Uh, You used to be able to pick up some of them, uh, you know, until we ran stopped doing that because we didn't have enough of them, so we started mining them. Uh, But uh, they have been in our water supply uh, forever, uh, and they they get taken up by plants. Grains are really good at taking up uh, heavy metals, for example. So what happens is um, these heavy metals bioaccumulate. That means they accumulate in your body over time. Um, they go into your tissue, They'll go into your arteries. Uh, they'll go into your organs, and they will build up. Now the body does have some means to get rid of them but it doesn't seem to succeed very well and so they still keep building up and in today's society where we have so many more metals in the environment from all of the industrial emissions uh, so many of our products uh, contain these metals surprisingly you know even though lead was banned in gasoline uh, many many years ago uh, we're still uh, you know uh, carrying around that legacy And uh, many products still have lead in them. There was a study done in the European Union that that showed that uh, the vast majority of uh, products that are sold online in the European Union exceed the safe levels for some heavy metals like lead. So we're exposed to these things um, all over the place. But I want to emphasize nature has been doing to this us to this for quite some time um and it it, you know egyptians were getting uh this problem with heavy metals because uh, they were cultivating uh, grains Uh, now heavy metals have been shown to directly target cardiovascular disease so and and dr lamas has recently published a study on this calling uh, saying that uh, basically he says i'm paraphrasing it the jury is in heavy metals trigger heart disease so you know, if anyone had any doubts about that, the evidence has been growing over uh, the years about this, but the clinical indicator of this came when both with um, uh, the IV chelation and with this nanovac uh, doctors found that large volumes of heavy metals were coming out in patients' urine. So they were being chelated, they were going out through the kidneys, and they were coming out in patient's urine. We're not talking small amounts here. On one hand, the tests were showing, Oh, you know, like sort of minimal amounts, they were there. But after the therapy started, they started pouring out of the patients. And I'm talking about 4,000% above baseline. These are not small uh, numbers. Now, you know, a lot of people will still say, well, that doesn't prove anything. Well, if you talk to Dr. Lamas' team, on this side, the heavy metals started coming out. And on this side, parallelly, the patients started getting better. So, yes, is there a cause and effect? Oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of studies that show that heavy metals trigger heart disease. So you can figure that one out. Uh, duh. And um, so this is what we have uh, today. So, you know, that's basically good news. It's not bad news because it shows that, you know, we're actually able to, uh, to deal with
0: this problem. So you're saying uh, when they did the blood exams, there was a little bit of metals, but then uh, a boatload of metals came out. So where were they hiding? Well, that's another trick, eh? Because uh, with
1: both metals and other types of environmental attacks, like infections that we've been talking about, there's a problem. Standard diagnostic tests don't show it. They're not designed to show it and you don't find what you're not looking for. So you know that's uh, that's what's been uh, what's been uh, going on. Um, uh, this stuff is in your tissue. So if you take a blood test or a urine test, the stuff that's coming out of your tissue is only going to show marginally. Um, so they take the test as an indicator, but you've got to be really you, you've got to look at the results very carefully. Now some uh, physicians do what's known as a challenge test or a provocation test. Uh, it's controversial too. Some people say it doesn't matter. But the fact is that, you know, you take this for about an hour and then you do a urine test and you'll know uh, what type of metals are coming out of you. Uh, Again, you know, ask your ask a qualified physician who's qualified to do this, uh, this type of thing. But um, so, yes, you're right. Uh, It shows up minimally in standard diagnostics, but in other types of tests where they know to look for it then, then they find it because it's coming out of your tissue, not just your blood or someplace else in your
0: body. So the audience is commenting and reminding us very recently, there was a study done in the UK and they talked about Elizabeth the first and used to, she used to wear that white stuff on her face. That was actually heavy metals and it made her terribly sick actually, because she was wearing heavy
1: heavy metal poisoning. That is a different level. The mm-hmm. trick here is that these levels are very low. And, and so uh, most therapies are directed towards the high levels of toxic lead poisoning, cadmium poisoning, etc. But most of us have got these, uh, these much lower levels that are regarded as safe, <laughs> you know, in most tests, they'll say, yeah, they're there, but they're within acceptable limits. Well, That is changing. There's an understanding coming up now that that is not okay and that you should start addressing this in your twenties and in your thirties, not in your fifties, sixties, and seventies, when you have to go through a a whole lot more trouble to uh, get rid of it. And Ron, before I forget, I just want to emphasize there's other stuff coming down the pipe. It is really exciting. And there's one in particular that I want to mention. It's uh, developed by scientists at uh, Clemson university. And it focuses on the damaged elastic uh, in your arteries. And they have been able to become very effective at removing uh, this this calcification uh, by targeting this damaged elastic in your arteries. And in the next show, we'll talk a a lot more about that. But that was developed by Professor uh, Naren Vivahari and Dr. Charles Rice at Clemson University. And there's a company called uh, Elastrin Therapeutics I'm a co-founder of the company, just <laughs> to, to be transparent about it, um, that is doing some really exciting stuff uh, in this space. But that's the future. And uh, we'll be talking about that in the next
0: show. But I again, mean, just to be clear, oh, the blood exams just so show a little sample of what is in there. But when you sh- start to dig deeper, then you see those massive amounts of metals that are hiding in the tissue. So that's kind of where things really are—that's where the build-ups really taking place, right? Yeah,
1: like they say, test, don't guess. Um, and, oh. and you know, uh, there a lot of times when your normal blood tests are done, when my tests are done, you know, I, I ask for metals, and they're all there, and and you can see it says within acceptable limits. But I think it's time to rethink that uh, w- when you see the levels of metals coming out of these critical ischemia patients, and the patients getting better—that's the point. It's the first time that we've really seen this. The same thing happened with NanoBac uh, TX. Uh, there, you know, there are uh, Jim Roberts has on his website not just with NanoBac TX, but also with other products um, that are also uh, chelators. And you know, he has he has the numbers on his website. Joel Kahn uh, has got uh, some of those numbers as well. He's uh, probably America's best known plant-based uh, cardiologist. So this isn't limited to you know, a bunch of way out uh, people who are on the fringe. These are mainstream integrative cardiologists.
0: So I wanted to kind of go back and talk a little bit about inflammation and and infection. So I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper. We all heard about infections and really we we don't want to talk about it anymore because of the COVID, the monkeypox, whatever. But... (laughs) in the book, you kind of uh, look at infection in a different kind of way, right? And you, you say it, it helps to slow down the aging process. How does that work? Okay, let's start from the top. It's
1: not any one infection. It's something called the total pathogen load or total stress load. Total pathogen load is 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 the total number of low-grade infections uh, that are, are going on in your body. And a lot of it you, you don't even feel you know you don't you don't even know about there might be some inflammatory indicators that show up you know in a blood test and they, they can't quite figure out what it is so they test for this and they test for that but it's really the combination of all of these uh, low-grade uh, infections and i just want to give you uh, one example of why infection is uh, uh, so important in in triggering chronic disease so everyone's heard about stomach ulcers Well, and everyone's heard that, you know, through combination drugs, they can now be cured. Well, in the 1980s, uh, it was regarded as a stress-related disease. Stress was causing stomach ulcers. Um, Well, it turns out that wasn't quite right. Um, A couple of physicians uh, discovered that in all of their patients, uh, there was uh, an infectious bacteria in the lining of their stomachs. And that bacterium was called Helicobacter pylori or H. pylori for short. And when they treated uh, their patients for H. pylori with uh, antibiotics, the patients got better. And uh, through this, they were able to prove uh, that Helicobacter pylori was the main cause of these uh, stomach ulcers. Now, what do you think happened when they published this uh, information? You could hear a pin drop. Uh, there was uh, no response from the standard uh, medical care community. Uh, some people called them quacks. Uh, Doctor Marshall Barry Marshall, uh, who was one of the physicians, was attacked uh, viciously uh, by the uh, the community. Um, strangely enough, twenty years later, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for the discovery and the treatment of stomach of the cause of stomach ulcers. So here you have a situation where infection was identified as um, a cause of a chronic uh, condition. Uh, The doctors were ridiculed for it, but turns out in the end, yes, it was true. Now, what was really interesting was about 10 years later, it was discovered that H. pylori also plays a role in triggering heart disease. And this is one of many infections that has been identified as playing a role. Uh, any individual infection, there's never been a burning bush or a smoking gun that shows this infection uh, causes heart disease. You know, It's more a group of infections, this total pathogen load. And for that, you've got to test for them. Well, if you're not testing for them and you're not looking for them, you're not going to find them. So most standard diagnostics simply don't find this uh, this stuff. You've really got to focus on looking for them. This also applies to illnesses like um, uh, Alzheimer's, for example. You've seen the recent scandal uh, that uh, uh, Alzheimer's, the this so-called cause of this plaque uh, was misrepresented, it looks like. They, the jury's still out of, uh, on it. Uh, but the focus on getting rid of that plaque has resulted in billions and billions of dollars of expenditures on clinical trials and drugs that didn't work. They simply didn't work. And now, and the people who were talking about maybe we should be looking at infection weren't getting funded as a result. Well, hopefully that's going to change now um, because um, there have been a number of uh, mouth infections that have been found in a large degree of, uh, you know, up to 95%, 99% of Alzheimer's patients. That's not to say that's the burning bush and that's the cause, but in a clinical trial most recently in pre Alzheimer's patients, when one of those was targeted, uh, cognitive scores improved. So that's the first indication that uh, infection might be playing a causative role in, uh, in Alzheimer's. So low grade infections are something to pay attention to, and they are not on the radar of most standard diagnostics and therapies. So we have a long way to go uh, in introducing this. Now, having said all of that wrong, it's getting better. Uh, the, the community is looking at this. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, no one's doing anything about it. People are doing things about it. But you have to look because it's still not in, you know, it's not embedded in the standard uh, medical practice.
0: Well, um, we certainly have a lot more to talk about. So I guess I only have time for one, one final question here. So what is epigenetics?
1: Ah, epigenetics, right? I call it epic genetics because of its huge influence on everything that's alive. So everyone's heard of genetics. So genetics is, you know, the study of your genes and of your uh, DNA. And um, genetic therapies, which is known as gene splicing. Some people have heard of this thing called CRISPR, where they're snipping pieces off of genes. So this is called uh, gene editing. Well, the problem with gene editing is it's like a box of chocolates. You can never tell what you're going to get. And so when you push in here, you know, something pushes out over there. So, and it's a permanent change eh, in a lot of cases. Now epigenetics is something different. Epigenetics is changing the way that genes behave without changing the genes themselves. It's the on off switch for your genes. So we can actually get these genes to turn on and off with certain types of therapy and certain diets as well. And certain habits like exercise, we can turn these genes on and off. That is an epigenetic impact and it has one fantastic advantage. It's usually reversible, whereas gene editing is not. Now gene editing and epigenetics are starting to cross a little bit with each other, but we'll get into the science of that uh, in the next uh, in the next program, so that's epigenetics. It's really exciting. It's one of the fastest growing uh, sciences in medicine, and there are a number of epigenetic therapies that are already entering clinical trials. So it's very
0: very exciting area. It's the nature of longevity. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I saw just bits and pieces, but uh, when can we read the nature of longevity? When is the book coming out? Well, first of all, you can go to the website right now
1: and get a great introduction. I've actually put some of the introduction uh, onto the website and uh, people can read that. And, and uh, if you click on uh, uh, the pop up, uh, just you know, let me know and I'll make sure that you know when the book comes out. It's scheduled for late this year, possibly early uh, next year. We've got it in the pre-publication readers phase right now. We're getting a lot of positive feedback on it. Uh, but you know, you want to get it right before you get it out there. And that's what we're in the process of doing right now. But don't let that stop you. Uh, it's going to be available everywhere. It'll be on Amazon and uh, it'll be an uh, electronic copy and uh, available on demand in uh, in soft and hardcover. Uh, but if you want to get a flavor for it, go to the website at calcify.com, C-A-L-C-I-F-Y.com. And the name of the site is The Nature of Longevity, and it's also natureoflongevity.com, but that's a bit long, so I shortened it to (laughs) calcify.com.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, this, this topic today, so many exciting topics and stuff that your book covers, right? So in our next show, we'll be talking more about how the science of all of this works in plain words, you know. So we'll be Rob, talking about- just,
1: before, just before I go any further, thank you for doing this. Thank you thank for having the foresight to do it. Uh, you're a hero, you know, and I really appreciate you taking uh, the focus onto this.
0: Well, thank you so much, because, you know, uh, when we started talking about and we had the private conversation, I said, oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff that I have to learn. Right. And then I thought about not just me. I mean, that's the reason why I do those programs is what about the other people? Well, we didn't hear about you No, know, we always thought this was an old age problem. Old people got this and saying, no, no, that's not true. Uh, we old didn't age think starts about early. Old age
1: starts early. I love early that. Age starts early. But to emphasize, always ask your doctor. So inform yourself. The steps are inform yourself, ask your doctor, then act based on that. So don't take it for I'm not a doctor. Uh, you know, you, you have to be aware of that. But I, I, this is the information that has been provided to me by these experts.
0: Wonderful. We we had such a wonderful conversation today. Thank you so much for your time today. You know, and folks, we're really just scratching the surface here. We can certainly continue this conversation, but I'm afraid this is really all the time we have for today. Again, please visit www.natureoflongevity.com or calcify.com for more information on environmental health. So just before we go, uh, again, thank you so very much. I wanted to say uh, a few words about upcoming shows. Uh, Well, we're going to have Jerome Glenn talking about the state of the future. We'll continue on the issues of technology, metaverse, and sustainability, and many interesting events coming up from the Institute of Competitive Intelligence in Frankfurt, and of course, uh, Frost and Sullivan. Again, I wanted to thank you so very much for your time today, for being here with me in Douglas, I hope we'll continue this conversation in our YouTube channel. Feel free to reach out to me, the host, via any one of the channels, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, I will be there. And I know where Douglas is, so I I will get a hold of him and I'll ask him the questions. So again, thank you so much. And I'm going to leave you with our institutional message. See you next time.